Hi, David. What are your key takeaways from the performance of financial markets so far this year? Hi, Alex. Um, so, you know, it was quite a boring but rewarding January. February uh, was much more of a roller coaster for investors. Um, of course, dominated by the sharp move higher in government bond yields and increased market volatility that we saw in the latter half of uh, the month. Um, so equities you know, fell back from all time highs as sovereign bonds sold off and yields moved higher, uh, something we discussed in our last podcast. Um, although equities still posted uh, positive returns for, for the month, um, although tech stocks have underperformed. Um, Commodities posted the strongest returns in February and for the year so far, uh, notably growth sensitive crude oil and copper. Uh, interestingly, gold you know, fell some 6%. Um, and you know, I think this reflects the rise in real inflation adjusted US Treasury yields. Uh, fixed income posted uh, negative returns in February and year to date. Um, credit spreads tightened, but for high grade credit, uh, the headwind from higher government bond yields dominated total returns. Um, and the picture for emerging market uh, debt is similar with high yield outperforming investment grade. And in terms of excess or, or spread returns, um, emerging market credit has actually outperformed uh, developed market credit, reflecting, I think, you know, more attractive um, initial valuations. So, I mean, the takeaway for the year so far is that the recovery and reflation theme is playing out as expected. We're seeing compression in spreads between high yield and investment grade credit, uh, negative returns on core fixed income with bare steepening of yield curves, uh, rising commodity prices and equities with you know, relative outperformance of sort of value cyclical sectors such as banks and more generally emerging market assets. Um, where the sort of global reflation theme hasn't really played out so far this year is in terms of a weaker US dollar and stronger emerging market currencies. And, and with higher you know, emerging market local uh, interest rates on the back of the sell-off in US Treasury yields, then emerging market local debt has, um, I think, underperformed. But you know, I do expect the recovery and reflation theme to continue to drive relative asset performance. But with you know, higher valuations for risk assets, bond yields continuing to move higher, um, it's going to be, I think, you know, more volatile uh, path for the market going forward. China's top bank regulator said he's worried by bubbles in the foreign financial markets. Do you share his concerns? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, there was a sort of at least a short lived hit to global risk sentiment when the uh, Chinese uh, bank regulator, you know, made this warning that you know there were asset bubbles being fueled by ultra loose monetary policy that are you know diverse from the real economy. And yeah, I, I, I share the concerns that there is undoubtedly, I think, some some segments where valuations are frothy and sort of speculative behaviour. You know, whether it be in you know parts of the digital currencies, Bitcoin, etc. And you know, we, even things like the the special acquisition companies or, or SPAC. So, you know, these are vehicles that raise capital by listing as a company and then buying a private company, effectively effectively turning it public without going through the process of an initial public offering. And there may be sort of, you know, efficiency gains or good reasons for that um, uh, mechanism. But I think the, the sort of explosion we've seen in SPACs kind of speaks to the willingness of investors to commit capital yeah, actually to an unknown investment essentially 
and, and sort of underscores just how big the pool of private capital is that's seeking returns in, in obviously a very low interest rate um, world. So, I mean, you know, so there's some aspects of the market which I think are a source of concern, but broadly speaking, I don't think financial markets are in a bubble. And I think that you can only really think that's the case if you think that the bond market is a bubble that will, you know, perhaps be pricked by uh, runaway inflation. You know, I, and I, th- I think sort of meaningfully higher inflation is a tail risk, not a base case. Um, you know, we've discussed the outlook for inflation previously, um, uh, Alex. But, you know, as we've highlighted, I do think that, you know, if you like that, that tail risk of meaningfully higher inflation is one that has got kind of fatter, at least for uh, the US. And returning to the bond market, is the tantrum over? We discussed you know, our case for higher yields in our last podcast. Um, and, and you know, since then, you know, particularly in the final week of February, we witnessed, you know, sharp moves higher in uh, Treasury yields and, and quite a deterioration actually in liquidity in the um, Treasury market, which did suggest some sort of stress in the, in the sort of micro foundations, if you like, of the market. Um, you know, real inflation adjusted yields rose and, uh, you know, and, and that was really a, about the market bringing forward to some extent its expectations for policy tightening by central banks. So, you know, the, the, the sort of forward market is effectively pricing a 60 percent chance of two rate hikes by the Fed by the end of 2023. So still a little way away, but by the end of 2023. But, you know, the Fed itself in its own uh, interest rate projections doesn't have any increase in interest rates until 2024. So, you know, there is a bit of a tension developing between what the Fed is saying and what the market is starting to um, price. And, you know, this spike in rates volatility, as well as the rise in uh, bond yields, yeah, did prompt a wobble in risk markets. Uh, We saw that calm down a little bit because of verbal and actual intervention, verbal by the ECB, um, more uh, bond buying by, for example, the Reserve Bank of Australia. Um, interestingly, the Fed hasn't really pushed back against higher yields. I mean, most Fed speakers have really been saying, you know, this is reflecting, you know, higher expectations around inflation and around growth, and and that's a good thing. Uh, but we might, um, I think, you know, increasing sort of focus on what Fed are going to say um, over the coming weeks, and certainly in the run up to what I think will be a pretty crucial meeting of the uh, Fed's Monetary Policy uh, Committee in mid-March, where there's also going to be updated, you know, economic and crucially interest rate um, projections. So, yeah, I I think risk markets can absorb a drift higher in bond yields, but not at the pace of volatility that we've witnessed in um, recent weeks. Um, Credit has actually proved relatively resilient through the mini sell-off in equity markets. We did see a bit of spread widening, a bit of decompression, but it was relatively marginal. And and while we have reduced some of the risk we've been running in strategies um, at the start of the year, we still retain a pro-growth and short US interest rate bias across many of our strategies at Blue Bay. And stepping back, is the flow of economic data consistent with our above consensus view for global growth? If we look at, for example, the global manufacturing, uh, purchasing managers, uh, indices, PMIs, 
you know, they're running at about 55. Uh, we've got strong new orders and employment readings. And, and that strength in global manufacturing, PMIs, is translating into hard data. We've seen global industrial production and trade um, post four consecutive months of year-on-year growth. Um, if, we, if we look at US Nowcast, they're actually tracking at the moment 10% annualized GDP growth for the first quarter. Now, I don't think the US economy is going to grow at an annual rate of 10% uh, this quarter, but I think it does underscore the sort of flow of positive US economic um, data. Um, in, in Europe, actually, data has been at the margin somewhat better than expected, but I mean, the European economy continues to be weighed down by uh, COVID lockdowns. It's tracking a, a 1% quarterly decline. Um, but we'd still expect a you know, reasonably strong recovery from the second quarter. Um, China's been one we've sort of been focusing on as, as well. Uh, the latest PMIs were a bit softer than expected. Um, I mean, the, the growth impulse from credit probably has peaked and policymakers in Beijing are starting to sort of signal a tightening in you know, credit and, 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 and fiscal policy. So, you know, we may see the peak in global, in, in China growth um, around about sort of mid-year. It's still going to be a strong year, I think, in terms of China um, demand. But, the, you know, we might be quite close to the peak in, in, in China growth. But taken in the round, I think the flow of economic data has been and is consistent with a strong global recovery. Um, consensus growth forecasts continue to be revised higher. Um, interestingly, forecasts for corporate defaults actually continue to be revised lower. So in that sense, I do think um, the bulls are on the right side of the outlook for global growth. Uh, but we haven't yet escaped the shadow of COVID, even as the markets debate just how boomy the uh, global economy will be by year end. Um, variants of the virus you know, could result in a third wave of infections in countries lagging in the vaccine rollout. I mean, we have seen a pickup in infections in some parts of um, Western Europe, um, quite possibly due to the spread of the so-called uh, English variant of the uh, COVID-19 virus. And, and social distancing restrictions are being uh, extended, for example, in um, uh, uh, Germany. So, you know, there is a, I do think that there's still a downside risk that the bulls have to consider, which is, you know, a, a sort of big third wave of infections, but much worse, a new variant that emerges that is resistant to current vaccines. Now, there's, there's no evidence of such a variant, but it's clearly a risk that can't be wholly discounted. But so far, the economic data is very much consistent with, you know, our long held, you know, above uh, consensus view in terms of uh, global growth, and I and I do think that the you know broadly kind of bullish outlook is 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 uh, the right place to be, but one has to recognise that there still are some downside risks from uh, COVID that we shouldn't completely um, discount or ignore. And finally, today, David, any highlights from the UK budget worth sharing with our international audience? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think there were three for me at least, I think interesting aspects of the UK budget that have, you know, relevance beyond the UK. I mean, firstly, um, the Bank of England's uh, monetary policy remit was actually amended to include helping the government meet its objective of uh, transitioning the economy to, to you know, net zero carbon. Um, 
So even though you know inflation target of two percent is the Bank of England's primary objective, it now has you know it's a sort of supplemental uh, objective to to support a zero carbon uh, economy. And the Bank of England said it's it's actually going to change uh, the way it uh, does its corporate bond buying um, to account for the climate impact of um you know those companies that the of which the bonds they're buying so we could see a sort of green tilt in terms of the bank of england's corporate bond um, portfolio um the uk government has said it's also going to be issuing more green gilt more green uk um government uh bonds so uh, you know i highlight this because i think it's kind of more evidence if you like of how you know efforts to address climate change is becoming ever more prevalent and relevant across the economic and financial landscape. Um, The Chancellor did give a sort of nod to bringing down the uh, record UK budget deficit over the medium term and had in it a a big increase in UK corporate tax rate from 19%, which is one of the lowest, if not the lowest in the G7 currently, to 25% um, in uh, 2023. And remember, this is coming from a conservative chancellor of a conservative government that spent the previous decade cutting corporate taxes. And and I do think this is indicative of a broader trend or an inflection point, if you like, of where, you know, governments, I think, increasingly are going to make choices that favour labour over capital, whether that be through higher corporate taxes or, for example, increases in um, minimum wages. And, and third, you know, despite the record budget deficit, it's actually equivalent to 17% of GDP. So, you know, it's, 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 it's huge. The, the, the UK Chancellor did extend fiscal support for the economy. And, and I, th- I think this does continue to emphasise that the policy reaction of governments, you know, at least in the developed world, is that they will continue to provide fiscal support, that there will not be an aggressive tightening of fiscal policy as there was after the global uh, financial crisis. Um, It's likely, for example, that the EU will um, continue to suspend its fiscal rules, not only through this year, but also in 2022. And I think so long as bond markets and central banks are accommodating, um, in the case of the UK, the Bank of England now holds a third of uh, government debt, Uh, I think governments will be and can be relatively relaxed in terms of dealing with budget deficits and historically high levels of public debt. But, you know, if you look, actually, the small print of the UK budget, there was a there was an analysis of the impact of a one percentage point increase in the cost of government borrowing. And it showed that it would actually increase debt service costs by almost one percentage point of GDP. Now, that's certainly affordable. Debt service costs are extremely low. Um, uh, right now, but it would actually be largely wipe out the increase in revenues the government gets from higher corporate taxes. So it kind of highlights you know, the extent to which the, the higher debt ultimately does imply some higher sensitivity to um, uh, changes in interest rates. Um, and it kind of reminds me, you know, uh, James Carville, who was a you know uh, advisor to uh, President Clinton in the 1990s. Yeah, famously remarked that if he were to be reincarnated, he would like to come back as the bond market so he could intimidate everybody. 
And you know, despite the growling of bomb bears that we discussed in our last podcast, Alex, the bond vigilantes that punish fiscally profligate governments are not yet on the horizon. And I think governments are counting that they will stay quiet for quite a bit longer so that they can avoid having to make you know, tough fiscal decisions um, you know, before they, they, they want to face taking those um, decisions. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to see whether the bond vigilantes continue to stay quiet. Thanks for your time today, David, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.